You're listening to episode 55 of Daughters on Fire with Robin Arab and Melissa Burton. In this week's episode, Robin and I are going to talk about how to deal with your loved one when they're feeling a bit anxious and clingy and they are following you around or calling you incessantly because you are their security blanket. How do you deal with that? What are the interventions? And are there other ways that you can cope besides just being the one to take the burden of having to take care of their needs when they're feeling clingy? So stay tuned as we dive deep into how to cope with being the security blanket. Are you stressed, burned out, and looking for answers as you care for an aging parent? If you are, this podcast is for you. Here you will receive actionable advice from seasoned professionals, validation and compassion for the incredibly tough job you are doing, and most importantly, supportive love from a community of like-minded warriors. You're not alone. Join this powerful community as we support you on your complicated journey and help you transform into an empowered and calmer caregiver. All right, welcome back. Robin, I know you have a topic you would like to discuss today, so take it away. Well, I want to talk about, I hear a lot of folks in our groups and family members when we are talking about patients with dementia, how they tend, their loved ones tend to follow them everywhere and never leave them alone. And, and we all like that time to ourselves and a little bit of freedom. But if you have children, if you remember when they were young and they'd follow you in the bathroom and, and now here you are experiencing that with either your parent or your spouse. And I want to talk about why that is, Melissa. I want to get your take on it and, and ways that maybe we can help diminish some of that for lack of a better word, maybe security that's going on between you and your loved one. Well, and I'm sure it is a lot worse when you're actually living with your loved one, but it can create other forms that show up in other ways when you're not living with them with the incessant calls, kind of the security blanket. They're calling you for a lot of reassurance throughout the day, or they're asking for you and, whoever they're around. So it can show up if you're not with them. But like you said, it's, it's a, it's more like a security blanket. It's an obsessive thought. And it's definitely something that not only can be a little bit of a nuisance for the caregiver, but it actually can be um, a symptom of agitation in your loved one. So it's not something just to be, to play off and ignore. It could be that they're, they're very anxious and they need to be treated for that anxiety. So that's definitely something to keep in mind that if it's something that's happening a lot to notify your doctor and let them know what's going on and see if they have any ideas around symptom management. And that's where I'm a big fan of doctors who specialize in these behavioral symptoms of dementia, like a geriatric psychiatrist, because they are more equipped to manage these symptoms with medications that don't just knock the person out. You don't just want to sedate them. You want them to be more calm and more at ease with what they're dealing with. But I would say also it could be a sign that that you are too enmeshed in some ways. It could be that you are the only one they feel safe around. And does that mean you need to start opening up your team 
to getting more people in there so that they feel like their safety net is more than just you because it needs to be more than just you. What happens if you are that one security blanket and something happens to you? Absolutely. And I think some of it is as well that when they're following you around, you are their security blanket. You are the person that helps them out. And sometimes they may not even remember your name or even your relationship, but they do know that this is the person I can lean on. This is the person who's going to take care of me for whatever reason that that still comes through and they understand that. So you were talking about even if you're out and about, and I've noticed in earlier stages where they're still able to leave their loved one home, maybe while they run to the grocery store or do a few quick errands that, as you said, they're either calling constantly, where are you? When are you coming home? And they're, they may even go as far as to calling other people and say, I can't find Melissa, she was supposed to be here, things like that. So one of the things I like to do early on is ask people to get one of the big white boards, the dry erase boards, and you can put on there, the time now is 3 p.m. I am going to the grocery store. I'm going to the dry cleaners. I will be home by 4.30 p.m. So that tends to be a little bit of a visual reminder for them that maybe we'll cut back on that. Now, if you're beyond your 4.30, all bets are off. They might start calling. <laughs> but right. it is it is a little helpful trick that I think helps in the beginning. But as you're further progressed, they're not going to know to look to that board for those answers. So it is about building your team and it is about bringing other people around that they trust and feel similar to that you as a caregiver can get that break and step out and do a few things on your own or be out of their sight line for a little while. Do you find, Robin, when you're talking to your, whether it's the attendees in your support groups or your clients, that it tends to be more spouses that struggle with this versus daughters or caregivers that haven't spent a lifetime together? I do find that. And you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and even take it a step further. I find that it tends to be men who are more dependent on their wives. They're the ones that tend to follow the wives around versus, not to say, and I have seen it both ways. I've seen the wife worried and, and around looking for her husband, but it seems like the men need that security a little bit more. Which makes sense. I think that, especially in older generations, that um, delineation of the home was the man would would get the finances and take care of things outside the home. And the woman was the nurturer, the caregiver inside the home. And so at home, whether it was cooking or cleaning or just having the home where it needed to be was the woman's job, if you will. And right. so those are our basic needs especially when you get past the point well in retirement the the man has long since he's he's taking care of his financial obligations right but those domestic obligations keep going so he's become and i have seen this a lot very reliant on the wife to take care of running the household right they feel a little bit helpless in those scenarios and mm-hmm. so they start to attach more to the women their wives and taking care of their their basic needs. Right. And really 
the wife probably did that all their lives as far as he was at work, but he'd come home and he'd have a warm meal and she would be around and she would spend the evening with him. And so those roles play out. And I think it's the same thing if you take that and look at children. And we often talk about the family dynamics and where you fall when you're a child, you fall into that same mold as an adult. It just might look a little bit different, but you still have that role. So I think there is maybe in families, one child that their loved one, their parent might turn to for information, for safety. And that's probably always been their whole lifestyle. That That's what they've done. And now they know I don't have these capabilities and I need somebody to guide me. So it is that person in the family that tends to do that, which, you know, if you're going to look at it backwards is an honor and a, uh, and a curse. curse. <laughs> right. It shows that they've, they've come to trust you and put you in that guiding role. Right. But it's not unusual. And I think human instinct would be if you are experiencing something that you're not used to or that's foreign to you, you would need somebody to lean on, somebody to guide you, somebody you trusted in. Who better than your spouse or your child to do that for you? And it's just part of the disease. And I cannot imagine because obviously we haven't gone through it, what that feels like to need that security. I'm sure we all had it as children, probably don't remember it. Maybe we remember it as young adults heading out to college and and into our lives and into jobs and things that maybe we needed that then, but not to the degree that it is now. So I, I get where that would be a scary situation. And Robin and I uh, co-facilitate a support group. And even in a recent group, we were noticing, because it's a mixed group of women, and we were noticing that the spouses were trying to protect their children from what was going on at home behind the scenes. But it was starting to really add up on them. You know, it was starting to become overwhelming. And one of the things, since this Daughters on Fire speaks to a lot of the daughters out there. I would encourage you all to really check in with your parents if they are caring for one of or the other is caring for one of them with dementia, because they they could be taking on more than their bandwidth is allowing them and they could be burning out with this type of behavior, with this neediness and clinginess. And they may not be thinking about what you're learning and what you're gathering out there about setting boundaries and being healthy and, and building your team. And they could be at risk of one, getting sick, dying, not being there to help care for your other parent. So be mindful of checking in with them and seeing if they have the support that they need, because in the long run, even if it means checking in and, and stepping up or helping them delegate a little bit more might make you more active in the caregiving role. Ultimately, the longer they can do what they're doing and the longer you can have them, it's going to be better for everybody. Again, it keeps the whole team healthy, but they quietly can be slipping into 
a drowning situation of caring for their loved one. Either they're protecting you or they're protecting their loved one's dignity, but they may not be telling you the full scope of what's really going on. Well, and in that same group, we had the privilege of having a a daughter step up and, and give her viewpoint of she wasn't included. And that made her angry that she didn't know what was going on because what tends to happen in that situation is the the spouse protects, protects, protects. And then all of a sudden, boom, something happens. And now they call the daughter or the son or the family member in and they are angry because they didn't know and they want to help. And I think it, you know, it's, it's a catch 22 because it's honorable for a parent to protect their child, but it's also not their choice. And I remember so many times my family, if something was going on, they wouldn't tell me till after it was over. Well, that felt excluded and, and hurtful when I could have been there to maybe help out or lend a hand or sat, did my portion to sit at the hospital or whatever it was. But we need to look at it from all sides because the key to all of this, I think, Melissa, is your team. The team is the huge key of you. What happens if, back to our scenario earlier, a wife goes into the hospital and now the spouse that has the dementia is not comfortable with anybody else? Mm-hmm. So you have just created an entire, what is it, mountain out of a molehill? Because he's not used to anybody else and he may act out even more in the behaviors and be more frustrated and upset for him himself, as well as the family or caregiver, whoever's taking care of him while you're out of the picture. So it's all about being proactive and and creating those connections and asking for help and agreeing to help. You know, you Mm -hmm. can ask Mm -hmm. or, and and not agree to it. Cause I think there's a lot of people out there that say, let me know. I want to know. I want to help blah, blah, blah. And it just never comes through. I think it would be interesting if if you are a daughter of a situation and you were like, mom, um, you know, please include me in this. And she's like, no, 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 I've got it. If you could say, look, you're actually doing me a favor by letting me be a part of this, that that you're helping me be a part of it now. So in the long run, it doesn't all explode on me, you know? So it's not like I'm doing you a favor as much as we're doing each other a favor because ultimately the responsibility is going to shift from one to the next. And if that next person is like, uh, if this is going to fall on me fully one day, I'd like to be a part of how it evolves. And one thing you said in a previous podcast, Robin, and I totally agree that building your team is is extremely is important, but there is another component to that, and that is really good communication. You need you can't just put your team together and put them like in the back of your head, put them on the back burner, and be like, "Oh well, they're there." No, you've got to include them at the most minimal in the communication about what's going on, and hopefully more than that 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 you include them in taking care of things, even if it's not where you're just tapped out. It's actually during good days that you can say, yeah, I actually can start bringing people in. And it's it's great to, to share the burden, even when you don't feel depleted yet. 
Right. Well, and what what I liked about what you just said earlier is you gave a talking point to to a, a child that, hey, you know, this is the way to approach it. Come in and say, I want to help. You know, let would it it'd be better for me? Put it back on, you know, make the the caring with the mother. <clears throat> the mother's doing the child a favor. She's helping the child. It's not about being selfish because often we don't want to put that on somebody else, whether it be a child or um, maybe your spouse's sibling or something to that effect. But it is about the communication and it is having a talking point of where you need to go. Yes. I remember with my family in a situation where it felt like this tug of war. And I think I've shared this before, this tug of war of it was centered around whether or not my parents should move, but it was, my mom felt like I was imposing on her, imposing on her. And, and finally we had this really amazing conversation that kind of broke through that. And I'm like, I don't want to take over mom. I just want to be a part of this. And and ultimately I am going to be a part of this. I mean, you, you know, you love and trust us and that you want us to help you when you can't do it for yourself. So in the meantime, we really need to collaborate because your decisions do impact me. And so I feel like I need to at least be heard. You don't have to do everything I say at all. I don't even want that burden of making all your choices for you. I, I just want to be heard as to where my concerns are, not because I want to rule your life, but because I want to be there and your decisions will impact me. I love that. I love that whole conversation. I hope everybody wrote that down so that <laughs> as you go forward, that's, those are the words you can use. Yeah. And it, it really made a big difference. And have we had that gone back to that specific conversation again? No, but I can tell you that the relationship is much different. There's a different trust in each other and it's not, it doesn't feel like a power struggle at all anymore. So that's really refreshing. Well, and just that you saying, I don't want to take this over. And I think that's for any caregiver. They are a fear, a feared, they're afraid, a feared that they're going to lose control. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most craved things a caregiver has is control. So they're afraid if they delegate, they're going to lose control. But when you come in and say, hey, I'm not here to take control. I'm here to help. That's beautiful. Yes. And it's funny because I was thinking, Robin, do you mean caregiver or do you mean the loved one who's going through this? But isn't that the case for all of us? We're all afraid we're going to lose control of oh, our absolutely. lives our very complicated lives that when we feel the illusion of control is there, we feel like, Oh, it's humming. It's going, everything is where it needs to be. And then, yeah, that's, that only lasts for little brief snippets in time. And, and when we, so releasing expectations is another great reminder (laughs) during all of this is that our expectations of what we think things should be like are really, that's kind of the, the core of all of our suffering in caregiving and in life is to hang on too tightly to the expectations that we have. The expectations and the illusions of control. That's where pain comes from. (laughs) (laughs) So I won't go down like too much on my philosophical uh, soapbox here, but, um, or get up on my soapbox. Anyway, I think that all of this is to say 
that collaboration is key so that your loved one, if they're feeling anxious, if they're feeling like that one person is their safety blanket, collaboration will help not only so that they feel safe around more people, but also collaborating with the doctors because if they're feeling anxious, maybe there are other medication interventions that can help also help them feel calmer. I agree a hundred percent. All right. Well, until next time. Bye now. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and ask that you subscribe to this podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, please leave a review so we can reach more women like you. You are not alone on your journey and the fire tribe is here to support you. Check us out at daughtersonfire.com and our Facebook group for more support and resources. Until next time, remember, you are the fire that fuels the engine of life.